0: Welcome to a Pew Pew panel with Eric and Ava. Today, we're going to be discussing all kinds of things amongst our main topic, which is military surplus firearms. But before we start with the show, I wanted to take a second and introduce Eric, my new co-host, as well as myself, just because we have a lot of new viewers. So for anyone who's not familiar with us, uh, you know, here's kind of a, a little brief synopsis of what it is that we do. Eric, I'll have you go first.
1: All right, Ava. Well, thanks so much. And I'm really excited for this podcast and where it can go. I I know that you're definitely one of the queens in the podcast community. So I'm really excited to, you know, uh, get this show going with you and everything. And I've been at this YouTube game for quite a while. And, uh, you know, I I make gun videos on YouTube. That's probably where most people are going to know me from our meltdown videos, gun gripes, uh, five guns. Uh, all of our gunsmithing, reloading type content. You know, we've got a very diverse array of various content on the channel that we've produced over the years. So we're kind of a jack of all trades, do a little bit of everything in in terms of the 2A community. Uh, I am the Georgia State Director for Gun Owners of America, took that position recently. So I've been trying to do everything I can on the advocacy uh, route uh, to fight for the Second Amendment and to help out GOA in every way that I can. Uh, also, uh, Eric Pratt and I produce a monthly episode called "Firing Back" with Eric Pratt, and that's where we give you kind of a, a good update on what's going on in the 2A community, and to kind of let uh, lend his ear to what's going on and and, and provide people some context. And um, yeah, really enjoy what I do. Uh, we are active on Twitter; you can follow us over there. Iraq Veteran eighty eight eighty eight on Twitter. Uh, we're shadow banned on Instagram. We're banned on Facebook. But really, I'm most active on YouTube and on Twitter. And uh, I'm really looking forward to to diving down the rabbit hole of various subjects with you, Ava. This is going to be fun.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, com- I completely agree. And I think that this is going to be a really great duo. Because things that, you know, I don't have a ton of knowledge about, you do. And, well, I would say vice versa. But I feel like you have a, no- a ton of knowledge about everything. Um, but I do think that this is going to be a really great duo. So, Excited to get this lifted off uh, for anyone who's not familiar with me. So I've been a firearms instructor for a little over 10 years, NRA certified in basically everything I own, elite firearms and training. And then I also write for various publications. I have another podcast called Gun Funny that I've had for six years. And then I'm pretty active on social media, YouTube channel, give or take. Feel free to follow me. Just search for Ava Flanell. It's with one N, two Ls. And then you could find me on Instagram. Facebook has not banned me yet. I am very like shadow banned on Instagram though. So just search for Ava Flannel one N two L's underscore, write the entire thing out. It's the only profile that has a picture. And then I also just recently created a Twitter account, which Eric, you were nice enough to give me a shout out. I appreciate that. So you guys feel free to follow me on Twitter as well. All right. So shall we get the show started, Eric? I think we should. All right. So, so first segment is mail call. And this is where we talk about anything that we've received in the mail. It could be from a company manufacturer, maybe a fan, maybe even some hate mail. (laughs) It could be anything. But this time I'm going to go over a gun that has been in the works. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with blown deadline. Um, he makes some really awesome stuff. He, I mean, he doesn't make it. he he paints really awesome stuff in the gun industry. And this is um, a set that he did. He provided me with the stock, the receiver set, and the handguard. And the lighting in my office is not great. I do apologize for that, but it's a black camo. And then if you look really closely, that black is carbon fiber. And then he also uh, put my logo, the Ava Flanel logo on there. And so I finally put this together. I equipped it with a BSF carbon fiber barrel, which is carbon wrapped, the BSF muzzle. I uh, have the BSF BCG in here. And then everything else is from Armaspec minus the forward assist and this uh, dust cover. The dust cover I've had actually for years. And uh, the forward assist, I don't even know who makes that. I just forgot one and ran to the gun store and needed it, you know, because you always forget, like, one part at least when you're putting together an AR. But, yeah, it finally it finally uh, is put together. I have not shot it yet. I'm really excited for that, um, which is always the fun part. But, yeah, its I- I'm really happy with how it came out. Outstanding. Yeah.
1: I received... A rapid attach buttstock adapter from Stern Defense. Uh, you know, r- real good friends with them. They've been really good to the channel, and we've uh, we've done a lot of work on uh, you know their various products over the years and things like that. If you don't know Stern Defense, they also make the Magwell adapters that you can mm. you know convert over to the pistol mags. Uh, quite readily and they actually work exceptionally well and i remember when this particular product first came out you can see here uh, in the in the marketing photo on the box that uh, there's a brace here and you can you know drop on various butt stocks and change it back out and everything like that it's just a quick little turn and you can you know take the uh, entire assembly off now, you know, you could probably read between the lines on what you could probably accomplish with something like that adapter. Because, you know, you could switch between embrace brace mm-hmm. or a stock or you could just remove the stock and be able to separate the gun down into smaller components for easier transport. But Andrea and the crew over there are wonderful people and they've always come up with some really cool stuff. And uh, yeah, that's what I yeah do.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I agree. I've uh, I've actually tried out that that product um, just even recently at TriggerCon. Huge fan. They make some excellent stuff. If you guys haven't, definitely check them out. Stern Defense. Uh, So now it is time for the Would You Rather segment. We do not have any questions that people submitted. So for this segment, we're curious as to, you know, like a a question that you would submit, you know, would you rather this or would you rather that? And be creative with it. Have fun. uh, Maybe be serious. You know, we don't care. We don't mind answering. I think both of us are pretty much an open book. I think it's, you know, it's, we have no problem admitting that. Uh, So feel free to submit your question, either panel at gmail.com or even below on the video, which you guys can find us. Our YouTube channel is Pew Pew Panel. This is also going to be posted in other places, but if you could just head on over to Pew Pew Panel YouTube, and then submit your question under this video, we're happy to answer it. Next is listener questions. We did have one question and somebody said, what food could you eat every day if you had to? And this is funny because um, a lot of people always tell me, they're like, well, you know, you're in the gun industry. That's awesome. And Eric, you and I have been in the gun industry for a little while now. I was trying to think how long it's been since I met you. And I want to say maybe eight years, eight or nine years maybe, I don't know. It's, I got to look back. I'm, I think, cause I think I took a picture with you the first time that I met you. So I have to look back and and see where that picture is, but we've known each other for a while. We've been in the industry for a while. And I always joke with people that, you know, they're like, that's awesome. You get to shoot guns for a living and heck yeah. Like hands down. I love it. I would not change it for the world. Um, I still get excited about new guns. But that said, I joke and I'm like, yeah, but like you could love spaghetti. And if you eat spaghetti every day, eventually you're going to be like, all right, you know, Um, it is, you know, it is still work. But um, with that said, I think personally, I would be able to eat pizza every day. I live alone and I eat pizza probably at least twice, maybe three times a week as it is. (laughs) I don't know how I'm not like overweight, like. (laughs) because I definitely like pizza and Oreos. So I would go with pizza.
1: That's a heck of a combination. <laughs> now, <laughs> now there, there, There's some very, very important pizza details that need to be administered here so that we really know just how much of a pizza connoisseur you are though. Now, are we talking deep dish with the like crispy, buttery crust? Oh, uh, like, yes. Thin crust pizza. What kind of pizza are we talking?
0: All right. So first of all, I do not trust anybody who wants to throw thin crust at me. Because carbs are life. I love carbs and sugar. So thin crust is probably my least favorite. That said I'm not going to turn down any type of pizza, but I'm all about like the deep dish or the hand tossed. Yeah, I love that. I don't know. What what about you? If you well, tell I me you-
1: another important question too. Now, what about pineapple on pizza? Because all right, that's, so you know, that's gonna separate the men from the boys here now. It is I mean, we, pretty we, important.
0: We might lose a few viewers already, but I am not against pineapple on pizza if it's done right. So typically I like like a Supreme pizza and, you know, like the more on it, the better add some green chili on top of that. Like green chilies, not green chili, but add green chilies on top of it. And, you know, I'm all about it, but I don't want pineapple on my Supreme pizza. Like that would be weird. But if we're talking about a pineapple like a hawaiian pizza some pineapple canadian bacon i could totally get down with that i again i'm not going to turn that pizza away and so i think pineapple has its place i said what i said okay how do you feel about it
1: i think we're in agreement there now now what kind of food could i eat on a regular basis now this might possibly draw some hate but uh hey whatever, that that's okay. Everyone's entitled to an opinion or whatever. I, I have to say the Indian food is by far my favorite. Uh, I enjoy it thoroughly. I love chicken vindaloo, super, super spicy. Um, mm. There's a restaurant here in my local town uh, called Bombay Bites here in McDonough, Georgia. Look, if any of y'all are local to Georgia here, uh, definitely check them out. They're, they're awesome. And, uh, you know, the, the owner's a big gun guy too, which is cool. But he he always, look, he understands the assignment. When he comes over and says, you want the usual? You want the chicken vindaloo? I'm like, yeah, I want the chicken vindaloo. And he always licks him. He goes, you want to make it spicy? Like, grandma makes it? Like, yes, I want it. I want it spicy. Like, like as spicy as it could possibly be. I like it so hot, it burns my soul out when I eat it.
0: Okay, so I love spicy food. But I know better than to go to a Thai restaurant or an Indian restaurant and ask for spicy, like for hot. I usually go with uh, medium when it comes to, you know, Cause like, I, I mean, have you, do you, do you partake in Thai food pretty often?
1: I love Thai food. Okay. Absolutely. So do you
0: tip, do you typically get it Thai hot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's crazy. So yeah, that's so crazy. Um, Well, recently on gun funny, which I had you, uh, you were a guest on last week and we talked about a new pepper in town. So before that it was the Carolina Reaper and that one Guinness book of world record, Well, now there's a new pepper called Pepper X and it's actually the person that came up with the Carolina Reaper. He had, he like mixed some seeds together and like, you know, came up with a new strand, which is three times hotter than the Carolina Reaper. There's a website where you can order it. And I think we need to order it and like, have you eat some on a podcast. And then I don't know if you've seen that, that, um, I think it's just maybe a YouTube channel. But they bring celebrities on and they have them like start off slowly, you know, maybe eating something kind of spicy and then moving on up. But they ask them questions. And I don't know if this is true or not, but they say that you're more likely to be honest when you eat something spicy. (laughs) Really? Okay. I just I mean, personally, I just crave milk, which I'm not really a milk drinker. But, you know, I did that that one chip challenge, which they've now taken it off the the shelves and uh, that hurt. I mean, I I ate the whole thing and then wasn't able to drink anything for five minutes. And I've never been so scared to go to the bathroom the next morning because normally spicy food doesn't affect me. Yeah, this one time I was like, I was pretty nervous to go to the restroom, but actually it didn't affect me. TMI. But yeah, so I was able to withstand that. So we're going to have to do it. All right. So now I now it's my turn to ask. So when you so you, you already said what you like, but like, do you ever like, um, like my favorites, like chicken biryani, um, chicken marsala.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So in terms of all the different Indian dishes, you know, they use a heck of a lot of curry in their cooking. And, and one yeah. of the, the interesting things about curry is that if you go to, if you go over to great Britain, you know, you're over there hanging out and, and, like them to them their national food you would think like everyone thinks of the stereotypical image like fish and chips you yeah. know and pubs and stuff and, and that's true yeah you, you're gonna have that but like they love indian food over there and and that's like their natural natural national currency if you will and, and you got to think like back in the days of the empire uh you know a lot of the soldiers brought home that that indian food from from the you know all of their exploits in India. And yeah. and it really stuck over there, and um, I've really come to love uh, real spicy curries and things like that—yellow curry, red curry—but curry has its uh, its place, and uh, they use so many fragrant, uh, you know, seasonings in Indian yeah. food. It, it can be an acquired taste, however, uh, it is very nice. I, I really do enjoy their cuisine considerably. It's, it's yeah. good stuff.
0: absolutely, yeah. All right, cool. Well, I would have thought you were like more of a a barbecue steak and potatoes type guy, but like, hey, you know, you learn something new every day. Uh, Moving on with the rest of the show. So there was a few listener comments that I wanted to highlight. So Dave, the hunter, he said, announced repetitively on social media that you have a Prius when you actually drive a Dodge Caravan will definitely put the bad guys on the wrong track. So my previous co-host, Dalen, I used to make fun of him because he did drive a Prius and uh so this guy is like saying like yeah maybe you are telling everybody you're driving a P- prius when in actuality not to say a caravan would be any better i don't know uh man i don't know what i would choose honestly between the two but you know now that we're at the topic so i need to know like what does my co-host drive <laughs> because if you say like a little honda fit or a mini all right we're we're probably gonna have to have a little talk
1: after this <laughs> all right so I've got two vehicles. Uh, I've got my, my Ford F two fifty Lariat, uh, super duty. So mm-hmm. that, that's what I use to haul on my trailers and boats. And, you know, and quite honestly, when I'm traveling, I do like being in the truck cause it's real safe and it's a yeah. safe vehicle. And then I've got like a little, uh, gray Honda pilot. It's like, it's an older one. It's like, I don't know, Oh nine or no eight or something. Like, you know, it's my little beater car, but it's mm-hmm. gray and we all affectionately call it Gandalf the gray.
0: Not nice. <laughs> so
1: whenever we're going to take a trip, we go. Oh well, are we going to take the Ford? Or are we going to take Gandalf the Grey? And you know, we'll take Gandalf the Grey sometimes. Uh, you know, if I got to take a long trip, like I'm yeah. going to DC this weekend for the uh, Guns Out TV uh, Purge event. I mean, that's like a 10 hour drive. I mean, I'm not going to burn diesel fuel and put wear and tear on my truck to drive all the way up there. Yeah, I'll take Gandalf the Grey uh, yeah. just to save on fuel. So I mean, look, I'm sensible. I, you know, I I've yeah. got one one car for long distance traveling, and then one for pulling stuff.
0: Yeah. I like it. That's cool. Um, and then Jason Rideout. out, he said, I can't say I'm a hardcore prepper as my income isn't there, but I'm confident I could hold my own if the need arises. And, um, this goes to a segment that we did talking about, or maybe it was a question that we answered about, uh, prepping, but I think it's good for everybody to like, have, you know, some sort of, I mean, I'd say like, kind of like a, you know, sthf or no i'm sorry s -S shtf bag that you know if something happened and you just had to grab and go and i actually had a dream the other day that that happened to me and actually i've been having some really weird dreams lately i had this dream one i had a dream that like i had to just like grab stuff and go and then i had another dream going back to my house and i had to find like a little place to hide in and I hid under my stairs like I cut I did a little cutaway and stuff it's like the weirdest thing I don't know why I dream so much and why I have the dreams that I do but it did make me feel like when I woke up I'm like am I as prepared as I think I should you know as as I think I should be and sometimes I feel like you can't you can never be as prepared or prepared enough Uh, We never know what situations are going to come our way, but I definitely think that it's good to be, you know, more so than not. Like I, I, same thing with carrying a gun, you know, worst case scenario, I carry this gun my entire life and I never have to use it, but I would hate to be in a situation where I wish I had a gun and I didn't have one.
1: What really gets me is society has somehow just painted this, you know, really strange view about preparedness and you know they they always think of a prepper as being like a stereotypical guy in some baggy camo britches and um you know i don't know like they they, people have this stereotypical image of what they think a prepper or a survivalist is you know a guy in a Mm -hmm. booty cap wearing you know military surplus load-bearing vest and he has a sks i don't know like like the modern day like rice hat guy from vietnam or something like you've seen the meme you've seen the meme but in reality though you know society has really unrealistic expectations about what that type of situation looks like. I mean, mm-hmm. you live within your means, right? Well, this guy who is saying, okay, well, I don't have a lot of extra money to put back some preps, how in the world do I make sure that I'm that I'm ready? Now this could probably be an entire episode. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this Ava, but yeah. You you do everything within your means. So mm-hmm. if you're living within your means and you have and you're a person of limited means, well then you're just gonna you're gonna acquire those resources, those extra resources so more slowly, mm-hmm. uh, but you're still going to acquire them. So you go to the store, you buy whatever food you're gonna buy, and then, all right, well, maybe we budget a few extra dollars for some extra rice or beans or other other types of dry goods that we can store, uh, You know, freeze-dried goods, whatever you wanna do. So um, it'll just take longer to reach your goal, but you will reach your goal as long as you are careful and stay within your budget and make a distinctive effort to actually do it you know every time you at the store just put aside an extra 10 or 15 bucks buy a few canned goods stick them back that's how it starts
0: yeah absolutely i completely agree all right so now i think it's time to get into the main topic which is talking about military surplus firearms and i'll be honest i don't have a ton of knowledge about military surplus guns all of my knowledge is pretty much I'd say guns that came out within like the last 15 years uh, with the, you know, the exception of, you know, some of those guns that are just like staple guns that like really, you know, paved the way for firearms. But that's why I'm like really excited to talk to you about this, Eric, because you have so much more knowledge. And I had the privilege of, you know, seeing your gun room. And it's funny because my gun room and your gun room looks so different. Mine's mostly black or, you know, the color, like uh, the occasional Cerakote firearm. And I noticed like yours is like mostly wood. That's not to say you don't have, you know, a lot of the more modern guns, but you have so many older guns. And I'm really excited to pick your your brain about this topic. So for anybody who may not be familiar, like essentially what is a military surplus firearm?
1: Well, you have to, you have to think, Ava, that when wars break out, a lot of guys need guns. OK, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of folks need to be armed and be able to fight the war. And, you know, when once, uh, you know, the industry of war gets into full full scale production, you know, yeah, they mm-hmm. make a lot of dang accoutrements of war, you know, pistols and rifles and shotguns and bombs and all the things you need to fight a war. And, you know, I would say in the context of what we're really discussing here, I'd say that rifles are probably more of a focus for a lot of people just because, you know, all of your infantry and all of your troops are going to have to have some type of a rifle. So everyone fixates on the rifle. I mean, like when you see a picture of, you know, war, when you see something from World War II and there's British soldier carrying out his duties or a Russian soldier, a German soldier, an American soldier, whoever, right. Mm -hmm. What do you always notice? You notice the rifle they're carrying, you know, it's just such a staple of the military and, and them carrying out their duties. So, There's a lot of dang rifles that get made in warfare. And look, when wars are over, those things don't just evaporate into the never. Uh, You know, they 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 go somewhere. Right. And they're generally put into some type of a, you know, long term storage and storage depots. Sometimes they're sold off as war aid or given as war aid. OK, they're you know, and sometimes they are destroyed. I know after World War Two, a lot of the Japanese uh, rifles and machine guns and things were just dumped in the ocean. Uh, yeah. So it really just depends on the conflict and, and well, who wins. And everything. Well, I was going
0: to say, unless you're like, you know, in Afghanistan or Iraq, then, you know, the military just leaves them to arm the enemy. But, you know, right? <laughs> how right. to put that out and, there.
1: No, that's a that's actually a very good, uh, good comparison. You know, yeah. what happened in Afghanistan with all of those uh, small arms and machine guns and, and gosh, vehicles, all the stuff that was left behind. Um, now, that debacle. Look, uh, that was a that was a weird situation, but yes, that is surplus. Mm-hmm. It is modern surplus. Of course, I mean you're talking machine guns and and all kind of, you know, modern war implements, uh, yeah. but it's very much the same concept, you know, the military claimed, "Well, it's too expensive to ship it all back." Really? I know. Really? Yeah,
0: I know. Um, so I remember like for those who don't know. So I actually grew up around guns. My parents, they owned, and still my dad now owns the gun store, gun range, all of that. Uh, I didn't shoot my first gun until like 11 years ago, but you know, that aside, I do remember being raised, you know, around the gun store when I was a kid and my, you know, my parents, they sold uh Mosin Nagats. And at the time, I think it was like $95 or something. And Looking back, I kind of have to laugh because everybody was looked at, like, I know exactly where they were in the store. Like, even when I go to the store, you know, to this day, like, I know exactly where they, you know, where they were lined up on display. And it used to drive my dad nuts because all the customers that would come in, they'd always want, like, matching serial numbers or, you know, something that was in better shape. And he's just like, you know, what are you doing? He's like, just buy the gun. Are you going to buy it or not? It's only $95. (laughs) Um, But... I'm kicking myself in the butt because like one military surplus guns, I mean, especially, you know, even a few years ago made for like excellent guns for people's first time gun, you know, it was affordable, it worked. And, and now more than anything, it's like increased in value. If I wanted to buy a Mosin now, like maybe the quality is going to be okay. You know, and that's, if somebody's selling their, their, you know, what they already have, um, Whatever's left, I don't think is going to be, you know, there's not really much left out there that's that great. But also in terms of price, I mean, I'm trying to think what most Nagats go for now. Isn't it like in the 300 $400 range, if not higher?
1: They, they've gotten quite stupid in price and uh, especially, you know, look, yeah, you're right. I remember going to a gun show when I was about 19 years old and mm-hmm. they had some battlefield grade pickup 9130s. And they were they were in rough shape. I mean, they were literally as picked up, you know, not refurbished, anything like that. Yeah. But they were selling those rifles for thirty-nine barking dollars. Wow. I mean, holy crap. I mean, you gotta think about the fuel required to ship that thing from wherever they bought them from. They might have got some of them out of Poland, out of the Ukraine, out of Russia. So mm-hmm. they come out of a lot of the Comblock satellite countries. I mean, even though the original origin of the rifles were Russia. They were made in Russia. They may not always have an origin from Russia. They might be a satellite country that they were sent to as war aid. And then that country sold them off as surplus or whatever. But point remains, I mean, gosh, I, I, I can't imagine 40 bucks paying for the fuel to get it there. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's I know. wild to think they can sell it that cheap and actually make a profit.
0: So with that said, Let's say, you know, let's say somebody now they're listening to this show and they're like, wow, that actually sounds really cool. Like I want to get something that might have been used in the military or maybe it wasn't used in the military. That's kind of what's nice about like surplus firearms is like you really don't know the story behind it. But let's say somebody wants to get into collecting now. I know that, you know, depending on the type of gun, obviously a lot of, you know, a lot of resources are drying up. Uh, because they've been purchased and they don't have them in bulk as much, but let's say somebody does like, where would you recommend that people even go to find, you know, heirlooms like this?
1: When we, when we consider surplus in the truest form, like you think of the old days of Bannerman's, you know, mm-hmm. one of the first true American surplus stores, military surplus stores was Bannerman's and they had all kinds of crazy things like stacked to the rafters. In fact, uh, the place blew up. There was a fire. And and of course, they weren't storing all the powder and other accoutrements quite like they needed to. And mm. there ended up, I think literally there was a fire and the place uh, more or less blew up or whatever. Anyway, the what? point remains- What state was this in? I believe it's in New York. Okay. Yeah. I'd have to look, but Bannerman's, there, there's a lot of old school pictures and, and, you know, illustrations of what the place looked like. And Wow, it's a shame that that, that the place isn't still there. But when you think about a surplus store, like military surplus in its truest form, like the old days of Bannerman's, I would say International Military Antiques is a great place to look into. Uh, They still have a lot of the uh, the Nepalese uh, cash that came out of Nepal, out of the royal royal arsenal of Nepal, Um, various cannons, boarding swords, rifles. Uh, many, many Martini Henry Henry rifles of various types, tons of different antique collectibles. Uh, They are still in business. They still have quite a bit of those left. And you can get them in everything from like an untouched condition where it's literally how they found it in the Royal Mm -hmm. Arsenal in Nepal. All they literally did was just, you know, check the action to make sure the damn thing wasn't loaded. And and that's about it. Um, Wow. And And then you get them in cleaned condition, as well. So they'll have some where their gunsmiths will go through and carefully clean and preserve. And you'll get a gun that looks pretty much a, about as good a shape as it's going to look. So, so it's, uh, Inter- it's, military antiques is a good, a good one to look into. I was going to um, say, so it's not
0: wrapped in cosmoline.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. What, what we call yak grease. Yeah. yeah like whatever they were using in Nepal was, was literally some type of animal fat or animal grease. And we, we always affectionately called it yak grease. I don't know if it was actually from a yak, but. You never know. Yeah, And then here, um, there's also Simpsons Limited. They get a lot of surplus. Uh, They're still getting a lot of stuff out of Switzerland. So Mm -hmm. your uh, your K31 service rifles, your uh, M1911 service rifles, even some of your 1889 uh, model service rifles, those are still out there. They're still coming in from Switzerland. They're also getting a lot of stuff uh, from Husqvarna. So um, still a lot of things out of Norway and Sweden and some of those types of countries over there. Um, so there is still some surplus coming in and they also buy a lot of collections and things too. So mm-hmm. Simpsons is definitely a, a great avenue to look into because they, they do get a lot of really cool stuff. So.
0: Yeah. I meant to ask my dad, actually knowing that we were going to talk about this topic. I meant to ask my dad where he gets all of his stuff for the for his military museum. And you know, if you guys aren't familiar with who my dad is um, he has stuff from the American Revolution all the way to present day and uh, the stuff that he has. I mean, it's just amazing. It's I don't even know how one person has managed to collect all of this, but he does have collectors all over the world uh, that just like send him stuff. So it's not technically, I guess, him, but still he put the entire thing together. Um, but I know that, you know, even locally, he goes to a few antique places and that might be a good resource for you guys to look at, depending on what state you live in you know, checking like your local antique shop and and seeing what they have there. Although it's kind of sad because so many places have become anti-gun or guns become so political that it's like, even if it is preserving history and it's considered an antique, that they're not carrying it, unfortunately. So again, that's why I say it depends on, you know, the state and I guess what the laws are and stuff.
1: I hate to say say this, but also gun shows. I mean, like you're you're generally gonna pay an inflated price at gun shows, but if it's the right piece and if it's something specific you're looking for Mm -hmm. and it's available, like sometimes with surplus, you kind of have to jump on it when the iron's hot. Yeah, you might have to pay a slightly inflated price, but sometimes the ownership of it is just kind of, you know, like if you want it bad enough, you, you may have to just break out the pocketbook and pay for it.
0: Well, also, I I don't really know of any, like, I don't know of very many guns that have really gone down in value. It seems like, you know, just with real estate, you know, maybe there's like some, you know, there's lows and highs, but eventually if you kind of look at the overall graph, it just continues to climb. And I would probably say, you know, I, I I feel safe saying that the same goes with firearms as well. So even if you kind of do play like an arm and a leg initially, hopefully at some point, if you ever wanted to sell that firearm. I think you would recover your money plus some.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, look, look at the M9130s as you mentioned, okay? Like the the mosin the from World War II, right? Mm-hmm. Russian service rifle, M9130s. Gosh, they produced in terms of various iterations of that gun. We're talking, it's like I'd have to check your production numbers, but I think it's like 38 million or something like that. Wow. Some absurd number, it might even be more than 40 million units. That's a lot of dang guns. I mean, people cannot even begin to fathom just how many guns that is because by the time you put them in crates and then mm-hmm. those crates get stacked on crates and then those crates get put into giant piles and then those giant piles get put into giant warehouses and then those warehouses are five or six deep and they all have to have power and they have to have people guarding them. So it, it's, it's a huge logistical headache to even house and keep up with all the firearms. So Mm -hmm. governments kind of start to go, you know what, we need to get rid of these freaking things because it's costing us too much money to maintain them. We have to have someone guard them and all this sort of stuff. So when you think about how many guns are out there, yeah, eventually they all got sold. I mean, there's still a lot of those guns in storage somewhere. They're all over Russia. They're all over all those satellite countries. But the the point remains, though, is that, yes, as cheap as they are and, and as abundant as they are, eventually the supply will always dry up. The mm-hmm. demand will always increase because you got guys like me, they're making videos all the time and you see tons of, of media and things that people put out about these guns. So it drives the interest up and more people get you know interested in them. And of course, as that supply drives up, it's simple uh, economics, you know, supply and demand that as the supply diminishes, the demand increases. So does the price. Yeah. And, uh, that's And True with any commodity. Even something as common as a World War II rifle that they produce some 40 million of
0: yeah absolutely i have to ask so the uh surplus firearms that you have majority of them have you shot them before because i've asked my dad you know like a lot of the guns that he has that are collector's items and like worth a lot of money he was like yeah i would love to shoot these but he's like one he's like i'm too important so if anything happened to me you know (laughs) um but then i guess two you know finding the ammo but then also three what if something happened and then you just break this piece of history because it was super old and it fell apart or, you know, it cracked or something like that happened. Um, Like, for example, my dad has, you know, like in his museum, he has a, uh, a Nazi display and, and we're Jewish. So like, don't get the wrong idea. It's just, you know, it's any part of history he has. And he has one of, I believe, 100 that was made of a, it was a Nazi belt buckle, and the belt buckle actually has a gun in it. And uh, I think it, it shot like three rounds. It could hold three or four rounds or something like that. Pretty interesting. You just like press a button. So if you don't like somebody you're talking to, imagine that you just like press your bullet button, a little gun sticks out and just shoots them. But stuff like that would be awesome to try out. But like uh, it's it is kind of nerve wracking for, you know, for all of the reasons that I listed above.
1: So I'll tell you a quick little story. Uh, that's pretty funny. It won't take but a second. I'll give you the the, the real condensed version of it. Um, a buddy of mine—well, I, sh- I shouldn't say a buddy of mine, but just an acquaintance of mine—reached out and, and said, "Hey, um, I've got some transferable machine guns that I'm thinking about getting rid of, and I want to put on the market. And uh, you know, before I get rid of them, uh, would you like to make YouTube videos on them just to share them with your audience and, and whatever?" And of course, maybe in the guy I am, I'm like, yeah, hey, I'm not going to turn down a chance to, to shoot a machine gun or whatever. So, um, he brought out a couple of different ones, and those episodes are on the channel. One of them was a, uh, I think, an Italian M38 machine pistol or something, and a few other odds and ends. But anyway, one of them was a German MP40 machine gun. Okay. Uh, you know, all matching numbers, not a tube gun, and an, an original World War II MP40 which, you know, MP40s in terms of during the war, they were pretty common machine guns. But but anyway, uh, we were apprehensive about shooting it because, you know, it is a valuable gun and you don't want to break it. Well, what can you imagine happened with this freaking gun when we were out trying to film a range video? Sure enough, about the second mag in, the charging handle on the bolt snapped right off of this, like I'm talking a $45,000 MP40. Oh. And I was... I was thinking, man, this guy is going to be so mad.
0: Yeah, but you know
1: that's what happens. You that's the risk that you take. It's just like the guy. Um, another great example is I. I did a video on a Faustmähler, a full-auto German Faustmähler from World War II. Very, very, very uncommon paratrooper gun. Uh, not easy to find at all, especially not in firing condition. And most people that have them in collections definitely don't shoot them because you're talking. Yeah. A is like a $150,000 gun.
0: Wow. And so did so shot, you shot it he her, and, he and everything it. went well? Huh. Went okay. Well. So you're like, well, yeah. for one bad story. I mean, there was also, you know, a happy story. <laughs> There's a video
1: on the channel of that Falsham if people want to see it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to see it. I don't think. Yeah, that's really cool. So then, okay, so the guy's gun who broke, I mean, is that even fixable? Like maybe you can go to somebody who could possibly make a custom part, but...
1: I mean you can replace the bolt, but now the part doesn't match. Yeah, the, I know. The and then it in.
0: and then it just goes down in value, right? Because it's not a hundred percent authentic. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Okay. So I'm sure that people, you know, they probably want to know like if there's, you know, at this point, are there any pieces that people could still buy that's affordable that, you know, that's affordable and available that you think are gonna go up in investment?
1: Well. You know, earlier I'd mentioned international military antiques and all of the Martini Henry's that they've got. Uh, The Martini Henry service rifles have been steadily increasing in value um, as that uh, Nepalese cash starts to get depleted. And as they begin to sell out, of course, the prices will uh, stabilize and then begin to creep up and everything. But they're still relatively affordable, uh, especially for the amount of history and, uh, and value you get out of them. So those are still out there and that's still some magic that people can discover in the modern world now, which is really cool, you know, to kind of bring something from a century ago and, uh, and you know, over a century ago and be able to use it and, and play with it, check it out and inspect it and enjoy it. And also I would say that there's still a good bit of Swiss military uh, coming out. Uh, there's some K31s that are still affordable, uh, some Finnish M39 service rifles that are still affordable. I would say that if I had to, you know, if I wanted to pick up some type of a uh, mosin uh variant or whatever, mm-hmm. the M39 is certainly the one that I would spend my money on. I mean, when the Russian rifles are bringing 350, 400 bucks and the Finns, uh, the Finnish M39s are only going for a few hundred dollars more, I think I would probably save my money and uh, and go ahead and opt for the Finnish M39 for sure. Um, mm-hmm. That would be my my decision. Most all of the uh, British surplus has has dried up a long time ago, so you're not going to find a heck of a lot of uh you know infields anymore. You know that sort of thing. You know, of course, the American surplus is out the roof in terms of price. Mm-hmm. Although the CMP, the civilian marksmanship program, still sells grants to this day. You can you can buy government grants out of government arsenal uh, to this mm-hmm. day through the CMP.
0: So that's a government
1: ran organization. The government actually pays people to clean these things up, go through them, check them. You go to the CMP facility. Um, There's certain criteria just like any other gun store or whatever. But yeah, you're literally buying a a military issue Garand out of U.S. military arsenal that is sent to the CMP uh, for civilian marksmanship training. So that's an option too. They're still out there.
0: Okay, so I hate asking people like what specifically they own, but I have to know, are there any pieces that you own that are extremely rare that you want to share with us?
1: Well, so probably probably the rarest gun that I own that, that's in the military surplus category, I would say it's my, I've got an 1857 Norwegian Kamalater service rifle, and uh, it is a black powder rifle, you know, being from 1857, it's just it's, before metallic cartridges, uh, it you would have used a paper cartridge. But uh, loader literally means chamber loader. And it's it's got this kind of crazy lever you pull back and the rear of the action kind of drops up. And it's like a little cup that you load the powder in the ball and you, you cap, uh, you know, the bottom of the of the of the chamber and everything like that. And everything is self contained in the rear of the gun. So this was them getting away from having to you know, send the charge and the and the projectile down the barrel and everything to load the gun like a traditional muzzle loader. We saw troops back in the day, you know, using a ramrod and loading under stress and everything. This was an attempt to speed that process up, but it also predated metallic cartridges by a pretty good margin. But it's an incredibly rare rifle. Um, there's not a whole lot of them left in the world. Um, the Norwegians were infamous for melting down guns for scrap metal. So... A lot wow. of the original Kamaloders, uh were were melted down for scrap, unfortunately. So there's not a lot of them left, especially not in shooting condition. Uh, Mark Novak went through this particular gun uh, at Amble Gunsmithing, mm-hmm. and he uh, he did a complete battery of work on it. He had to repair the stock. He had to you know re-sleeve the chamber because it was real rotted out. I mean, you got to think the gun's what 180 years old. I mean, it's like yeah. it's a long long time for a gun to be sitting around unused.
0: Wow. That's incredible. And that's, that's really incredible that he was able to do all that and, you know, kind of get it back into, you know, pretty good shape.
1: I hunt with it. Wow. So I have videos of me killing deer with this rifle from 1857.
0: That's crazy. I don't, so I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, okay, so I don't know a ton about hunting, but like, what kind of tax stamp would you get then? Like a, just a black powder Tax stamp, or not tax stamp, I'm sorry, a hunting, um, a hunting tag.
1: Well, yeah, so you're going to get like normal. All that Uh really is, is is like the time of year. Like, so what they'll do is they'll have like an archery season in certain states that will, that will be a certain amount. So the archery guys kind of get to be in the woods before anybody else. Then they open it up for black powder season and the black powder folks will get like maybe a a week to 10 Uh days. All right. And then what they call primitive weapon season. So you can use your bows, you can use black powder rifles. And here in Georgia, you can actually use air guns during primitive weapon season. Now, Um, that was a law that was recently ran through the state legislature here that we were able to get changed. Uh, My good friend Rick Ward uh, really petitioned the state legislature really hard. And we were able to get the law changed in Georgia to allow big bore air guns to be used, modern big bore air guns to be used during primitive weapon season. And mm-hmm. then after primitive weapon season is over, that's when your normal rifle season opens up. And of course, that's when that's when most everyone gets in the woods and you're hearing shots every morning from everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Most people hunt with guns. And then I would say that followed closely by archery guys. And I would say black powder actually represents a very small group of people overall, especially uh-huh. ones that use traditional black powder rifles like what I use.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I that... I think that covers all of the topics, unless there's something that you think that we didn't cover. Otherwise, I think it's time to go into listener of the week. So if you guys want to be listener of the week, pretty easy. All you have to do is leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have an iPhone, it's really easy to leave a review. Just search for the podcast app search for Pew Pew panel, scroll down, you'll see where it says reviews, and then you can leave a review. And you have to actually write something. If you just leave us, you know, if like you tap on the stars, like one to five stars, it's not going to show up. So, you know, if you don't mind, uh, we'd really appreciate a review. It does help with the algorithm and this being such a new show. Um, it helps kind of put us on the map. But today, uh, today's listener of the week is hashtag draven 13. This is from D Raven 13, four stars. So I actually gave somebody crap uh, a few episodes ago about a four star and they were like, nope, sorry, it was an accident. Because I was like, who does four stars? So I actually read this before we started the show and this guy actually did intentionally mean to write four stars. He said, I've been listening to Gun Funny for a long time and heard about this show from there lighthearted and playful, but could use a bit more substance. Ava is known for zero prep interviews with her guests and it totally works in that scenario because the guests are always bringing the content. Once you two are in sync enough to finish each other's sentences, this show will rock. We'll continue listening to see how you progress and hope to give a five-star review for you soon. And for anyone who is wondering, they are not talking about Eric and I, uh, they're talking Mm -hmm. about Dalen and I, and uh, Dalen is, uh, we parted ways, you know, amicably we're, we're friends we actually talked this morning and then eric jumped in and i you know so i was looking for somebody that i thought would be a really you know like a really good co-host and and add quite a bit of value to the podcast not to say that dalen wasn't but i understand what this guy is saying and so hopefully eric and i will you know earn that five-star review so hashtag draven raven 13 thank you so much for that and i think that sums it up um You guys probably don't realize this, but I'm totally recording in the dark right now. Like the sun has gone down. It's I just like it's, you know, so if anybody is wondering about the video quality, it probably will not be like this moving forward. Um, But yeah, I I do have to laugh at my situation. Then my crazy dog's just running around all over because she's you know she's little and she's hyper but i'm really excited to do this with you eric and i think that the show's is just going to continue to get better and better we have a lot of fun topics to you know to share with you guys so uh hang on tight because i think that this this show's definitely going to go somewhere
1: oh heck yeah and I'm not gonna lie, I'm not really looking forward to being the guinea pig on these freaking peppers now. <laughs> have to see where that's gonna go. I mean, look, I look, I'll take one for the team. Okay, you want me to eat some hot stuff? That's fine. I'll be your soldier. I'll eat some hot stuff, but I'm gonna have to have some freaking milk on standby now. Yeah, that, that would be
0: I'm not gonna be <laughs> listen, I'm not gonna be cruel. Like you, you can definitely drink milk when you need to, but I definitely think that we need to give this new pepper a try.
1: <laughs> and I when, I say, do do, when I say when
0: I say we, I mean you.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think what we probably should do too is do something where like, maybe I eat a really spicy pepper and then try to work out or something, you know, yes. to see if it, if it affects my workout. Like maybe I can lift more weights if I, you know, eat a really spicy Even pepper on. beforehand.
0: That would actually be hilarious.
1: <laughs> now, I, you pro- know probably, what? Probably <laughs> yeah.
0: And then I'll be like, uh, hello. Uh, all right. What do I do? <laughs> I'm like, let me see uh, if I can call 911 from here.
1: <laughs> so all the folks that are listening, you know, give us ideas too. Let us know what you'd like for us to discuss. You know, yes. you can, you can send us. So it was a, it was panel at gmail.com is the email mm-hmm. address. Correct, Ava? Yep. Yep. Email us some ideas. Let us know what you think. Uh, let us know what you'd like to discuss. I'm, I'm going to put that out there and uh, you'll, you'll see this podcast, not only on, uh, you know, Pew Pew panel on our YouTube channel, but also I'm going to post it on IRAC Veteran. So, whenever it goes live over there, you'll have it, you'll see it go live on my channel as well. So, you can find it on my channel as well. We would like you to support Pew Pew Channel, the YouTube channel, uh, as its own entity. Go subscribe to that as well. So, you're never missing an episode, but you can catch it here as well. So, yeah. I just want to get that then- out there. Give us ideas. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's a great idea. And then um, lastly, if you guys are just the type that just listens to podcasts, we're available on everywhere that podcasts are located. So thanks again for listening and we will see you guys next week.
1: We're out y'all. See you.